podcast that investigates the experience of self, the events that have shaped our world, the people that we have become, by focusing on the person first. Ray, what's your earliest memory of someone who was good at life? My earliest memory of someone who is good at life probably has to come from from my family. You know, I have many examples of of good role models. Um, I think my mum she she gave me the gift of spirituality, and it's something which which you know every every time I have the opportunity of doing so, I thank her for. It's something which is a very important part of my life, and I think she was probably one of the first examples I can think of. Uh, but there are many in my family. When I, when I say the word spiritual, I think someone who's at peace and seems to be um, have their expectations of the world in line with their reality, maybe. Was that your first you know, impression of someone who understood life or was good at it? I think it, your former point is, is the one which resonates more strongly with me. Um, it doesn't take long when you encounter someone who's at peace with him or herself for you to also feel that yourself. You know, I guess that concept is linked to the attainment of happiness and contentment maybe is the, is the more appropriate word. But it was very apparent to me just emotionally that she was at peace with herself mm. and that state of contentment uh, was driven actually by and large um, by her faith, her spirituality, you know, mm. where, where she's, she, she, she was and remains a practicing Christian and a committed Christian. And that's one dimension. I'm not suggesting that's the only means of of, of spiritual enlightenment or attainment, but that's what she embodied. Mm. And that's what came across in the way she carried herself mm. um, in her day-to-day with me. That's interesting. Yeah. And who else was in the family then? So I grew up with, um, with my mom and my dad um, who were together. My father was a diplomat who worked for the Malaysian embassy. So we, we traveled the world quite a lot, never staying more than about three to four years in, in a given country. And I've also three older sisters who, you know, I look up to mm-hmm. till today. Um, you know, the, the two eldest ones still refer to me mm-hmm. as, they call me son because the age gap is so big. And I think they still regard me in a in a nice but still a diminutive sense. And I, I also like that too. So, you know, we were a family of six, uh, very closely knit, and also traveled well together. Do you think, have you spoken to your dad about whether the job shaped him or whether he was, he chose that job because of his character? My dad passed away six years ago and he had me when he was 40. So my relationship with him was a little bit different. I think I was still in a in a process of self-discovery even when he was 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 in his slightly later latter years. Yeah. And I don't think I had the opportunity is the wrong word, but I don't think I had the desire to ask him those bigger questions. Yeah. 200% I'd love that opportunity to sit with him just as we're sitting together yeah. right now. And, and and ask him those questions. Whereas I have the opportunity to do that, you know, with my mom who's still alive. I guess with my with my father who who was inspirational in so many different ways, it was less about articulating that and talking about that. It was more about learning from him by osmosis. You know, he was a gifted diplomat and he displayed diplomacy in his practice and the way he interacted with people and his interpersonal connectivity. And you'd see that, you know, I'd join him and tag along on official parties and unofficial parties. And when he hosted events at home with my mom, 
And even though we didn't talk about that, you can see that interaction and how it brought a smile to other people and how his smile in, in itself was infectious. So we didn't talk about it, but it was something which I think he really imparted and made a mark on me and I think is, is still with me till today uh, to a very significant extent. Actually, I would um, accredit him for, for shaping my approach to, to my career and my work by displaying those qualities and for those qualities to actually matter very much. What are those, what are the kind of the key qualities you'd want to be um, deep to mind or be remembered for after you pass away? Maybe if I'm truly honest with myself, there's, there's still an aspect of me which is still concerned about reputation and linking reputation with legacy, which I guess is at the heart of your question. But the more that time passes, the more I realize that reputation, or at least my definition of it, is more what others think about you. Whereas if I think about the kind of legacy I would truly like to leave, maybe that would be linked more to my character. So what I actually did, as opposed to what others thought Thought I did. perception, yeah. So for me, there's a distinction here between character and reputation. Mm -hmm. And with time, the importance of reputation has dissipated. I'm not saying it's gone entirely. I'd love for it. I'd love to shed myself of that importance. But it's really about what I do and and what I've done and how I've, more importantly, how I've impacted the lives of those around me, Um, not just at work, but my friends and family at the same time and anyone really who I've encountered. So um, that, I think that's really interesting because the perception piece, I think that's true. It's, it's, it's less important than actually the, the real world impact you've made. But if, if someone was to say, I want to be an X person like Ray, what would that X be? But I would, I would challenge that thought process because that X person is what they think of me. It's the person who's maybe on the surface, all smiles, who presents a certain way, presents with a degree of confidence, who who carries himself in a certain way. And I'm not saying that's not my true self. I think, at least in my in my case, but probably I, I speak for many, the, the, the deeper qualities um, of one's character are only revealed in personal encounters. Mm. They're, they're rarely revealed on stage, mm. even though actually in, in my role, I, I am required to be on, on stage quite often. Is that fair? Do you, do, do you see what I'm getting at or trying yeah. to get at? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I think it's true. I also think, though, if, if, if a quality of a person is pervasive and, you know, they can't get away from it, then it life is a lot easier for that person. You're not living this duality of here's my presentation mode, here's a whole bunch of other stuff, and here's actually the truth. You sound like a person who seeks to push the truth into their reality. So how you feel into your external life as well. So you don't have to live this duality. Is that? That's a, that's a highly perceptive question. I think, um, I think that's, that's right. I, I think there's a, there's a gradual convergence process. Yeah. Call it wisdom, age, experience. You know, I don't mean it to come across in a condescending fashion that one can only gain that convergence when, when you're older. But, but I think you've got to go through different phases in life. You yeah. know, even, even one's definition of, of success um, in, in one's career and one's life evolves. Mm. And in the same way, I think this conversion between the reality and the onstage presence is something which happens over time. Yeah. And I do want the two to merge entirely so I can truly, you know, be myself. I, I think 
I'm getting there, but it is a recursive process. It's easier said than done. Yeah. Because this, we, are, we are also bound by our parameters and our environment and certain expectations of us. Maybe that's what also draws people um, to not working in organized uh, working environments and cultures because that makes that convergence all the more challenging. It doesn't make it impossible. It just renders it a more difficult um, state of attainment. Oh, no, I was going to say on, on that topic, do you think that that spirituality that you sort of gain from, from your mother has helped sort of ground you when it comes to working in this sort of industry, sort of when you look, take a step back and think you've got all the pressures of work, of, of being this facade and being this person, that maybe that person comes back out and it sort of helps ground you and think you know, there is a bigger part, a bigger picture effectively, like you say, your legacy is you as a person rather than the work the work, right? Yeah, and I think, Craig, that that's right. You know, for me, it matters a lot. You know, when I think about, as you know, the state of 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 happiness or contentment, for example, right? And I'll I'll come back to your point. I think there are two aspects. One is a realization that happiness is not something necessarily pursued, but actually, it's available right here and right now, if you peel the onion, so to speak, yeah. and reveal that within yourself. But for me, the spiritual dimension confers a degree of permanence and, and preserves that. Mm. It has an, a, an infinite and a long-lasting feature, which gives you a feeling of security, which is very difficult to, at least you know, from my experience, um, elsewhere. Yeah. And I think you know, many people always in the constant pursuit of the meaning and the purpose of life very often that meaning and the purpose can be found in a degree of spirituality. Mm. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm holding myself back and refraining, you know, from using, uh, you know, Christian theology and, 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 the, and the God word, mm. which obviously are relevant and matter to me. But I guess, you know, if we think about it broadly, spirituality can be viewed in, in, in a very holistic um, yeah. context and perspective. You know, I'm married to a Buddhist wife, mm. even though I, I, I ra I've raised out three kids as Catholics. And we've always come to terms with that and accepted that in each other. Never once have I tried to, you know, convert my wife or purport that this way was the only way or the, rather than the highway. In fact, I've, um, I've seen points of emphasis in Buddhist tradition, uh, which I feel could be underrepresented in Christian texts, even though the meaning and the messaging and the underlying message is the same. Yeah. I've got a spin-off from that. Have you? Have I just opened something up? <laughs> <laughs> Get ready for the whole. Um, Whenever you, you know one gets into religion, you, yeah. you're, you're oh, just no. setting yourself up for a. No, I, I so I I, I um, come I've come from a background of being very staunchly atheist, and then realizing all the blind spots I was holding there, um, and really what, um, however people think of a god, they're really talking about a power bigger than themselves. Mm. Number one and. If you start with that concept and and don't worry about the dressing up of that and the storytelling details of that, but actually what you can, all the positives you can get from that, I started thinking that Dawkins he's is missing a big thing. Like he, if he starts to eradicate uh, religion, he's not replacing it with anything that people can get you know, buy into. And um, so yeah, no, I, I think um, you can use the word God. I think you can use that. okay, That's okay, fine. fine. Thanks for the green light. <laughs> <laughs> can you? Um, have you reconciled on a daily basis your 
day-to-day reality and then your spiritual life, do you bring them, is meditation your way of bringing those things into convergence or are they, are they naturally kind of with each other on a daily basis now? Yeah, tough question to answer. I, I view them as, as fairly separate. Um, you know, I think it's important to have a meditative state of mind when you pray because it's important to to be open and receptive. I think when you pray, receptivity is important, not trying to force the issue. You know, as a child, when you pray, it's always about asking for things. Can I have this? Can I have this new bike? Can I have this? And so on and so forth. And, you know, hopefully, you know, I say hopefully as you as you grow older, it doesn't mean that you can't and shouldn't ask for things. But there's another dimension about of prayer, which is about also gratitude and expressing thanks mm-hmm. and also being open to the possibility that what you really want or think you might want isn't necessarily the right outcome or shouldn't necessarily happen now. So there's also an evolution in the way one prays. Now, for me, meditation, I view quite separately. I think it's intrinsic um, to our state of mind uh, as an antidote to stress. You know, it's been proven now, and and there's strong and hard science behind it that it it, we rewire our brain um, in our, our prefrontal cortex. Um, the amygdala, for example, uh, shrinks when we meditate. Um, so it, it, it diminishes this fight or flight response. And, and, and there's much more. You know, I won't go into, the, into too much of the science of it, but it is, I, I dare say the word proven. So it's important to, to always try and be in a meditative state of mind. Mindfulness is a more secular word. Mm. Whether or not we're praying or working or talking to someone, even as I, I'm with you right now, mm. Um, I, it's important that I, I have that clarity and that mindfulness so that we can have a more engaged discussion, hopefully, right? Yeah. But I, I, would, I would make a distinction between that and formal prayer, so to speak. Do you, so do you think on a daily basis, do you have to actively pursue this kind of um, you know, unthinking state? I think, you know, w- when you look at literature and, and an approach to meditation five or ten years ago, it was more about this forcible emptying of the mind when actually it shouldn't really about that force and meditation. Just those two words don't go hand in hand. It's really about um, an acceptance of what's around you, an acknowledgement and allowing that to wash over you. I come back to the the word receptivity. I think um, if you are receptive, then by definition, there's a degree of emptiness, which yeah. is there. But when you use the word receptivity as opposed to emptiness, for me, emptiness indicates something a bit more force, forceful. Expulsion. Expulsion, exactly. Yeah. It yeah. shouldn't be about that, yeah. right? You're always going to carry some a degree of that. Sure. And m- maybe the more experienced meditators will have less of that. Yeah. But the different degrees, right? You'll never eradicate it, nor should you try and eradicate it. Yeah. I think that's right. If I think about time, so I find it quite difficult to remain still and quiet. So the way I achieve a meditative state, so I quit drinking in October last year, but that was a great way of, of achieving uh, effectively focus and a lack of clutter in my mind. Um, so I would be happy to drink on my own, mm-hmm. red wine, cheese, etc. watch a movie. In fact, I could only really watch movies with absolute concentration while I was drinking. Sounds a bit weird. But I knew it wasn't going to be something that I could take into my 40s as we started talking about. I thought, I can't be doing this. I'll have to get a better relationship with alcohol. So for the, my wife was really ha- – um, she quit drinking when we quit smoking in our 
in my early thirties. Um, so she found it, she's like, yeah, join me. So I have for the last year and I may go back to, it, I may not, I need her permission first, but, um, but I replaced it with, um, focusing a lot more on creation. So my, my kind of music writing has just taken an absolute you know, rocket up and, um, I've done loads of great stuff. Well, for, for me, it's great. Um, and I, I go into a state of absolute flow. And I don't think of anything. And five five um, hours later, I've got a dry mouth. My bum hurts. I've been on the chair. I haven't been thinking about anything except this one thing. If people do find it difficult and they don't have, you know, that kind of um, hobby, is there anything that you would recommend to them of um, how they achieve a similar state? Let me try and answer that later, but I'm intrigued to re-ask you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that, because I'm, I'm just I'm curious to know why you link the not drinking mm. with being able to have a more contemplative mindset. Is it just coincidence? So for example, in the periods in which you were drinking, yeah. didn't you have moments and episodes, if I may respectfully challenge, yeah. where you still had that, that contemplative mindset? Yeah. So uh, alcohol for me had um, two great effects. It had this kind of um, dulling effect so my brain wasn't spout. I wasn't listening to what my brain was saying, maybe. And I could then focus on things easier. I even started to do some work of an evening. Mm-hmm. And that's where I knew it was getting bad because I was linking it to a positive thing. I was like, but I work really well when I drink of an evening. <laughs> so I had that side, which was a sedative type vibe. But then also it put me into a state of making really poor decisions, which ultimately are linked to not going home. Yeah, yeah I just thought to myself, I'm approaching 40. I think it does have a a knock-on effect for days afterwards, you know, physically as well, in terms of your mental state, just... Yeah, you, know, you have this massive it's, crash. It, it's the food you eat, you know, you don't oh, yeah. need to do exercise. Yeah. Um, and I do think that clouds your thought. For, like, for me... You've changed with this yeah, as well, I've, haven't you, recently? You know, You've gone not many drinking, months without drinking. Sort of went hand-in-hand hand with getting back into fitness and sort of being healthy physically, which, you know that translate into my mental state as well. I'm just a lot more productive, you know, endorphins are flowing. I do think that creates a clearer mind for me. That's probably where I get my sort of meditative peace is doing exercise. And and that's where I find, you know, that's good for my soul. When I'm doing that, that knocks on exponentially my productivity at work, um, just everything in life, relationships. Yeah, everything in life. I think it helps knock on effect. And I do think that when I'm drinking, that... So I stopped doing that and that does have a knock-on effect. I don't know what it is about alcohol, but it does have a, I think, just a clearer mindset, just generally having not... I, th- not I think it. you're right. I think I think we're really on to something, guys. <laughs> um, and actually, maybe, maybe that segues, Craig, into um, answering Ben's earlier part of the question yeah. because you talk about exercise. You know, what are my tips on things which, you know, help you through difficult periods? For example... Mm-hmm. Um, I think as humans, we are hardwired to have exercise and to to be mobile, you know, to Craig's point. Yeah. So exercise in whatever format uh, which suits the individual, I think, is essential. Mm. It's always been a great, um, you know, de-stressor. Um, and as humans, we're, we're very sociable. I think it's important to be aware of our secure bases. You know, who are the people we can truly mm. count on, who truly empathize, who truly listen to us, just as we do with others. And having those secure bases to go to and to connect with, I think are very important. And maybe um, doing other aspects, you know, Ben, you, you, you mentioned the music, mm. using other parts of our mind. You know, I'm sure many of us who've, where, you know, leaving university or school is, 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 is you know, a distant memory 
realize we use very little of what we learned in school or in uni or in college, right? And we're using other, other aspects and other skills. And that tends to utilize, you know, I, 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 there's no sound science behind this perhaps, but certain, maybe just a certain part of our brain. Whereas if we diversify that by trying to learn a language, mm. learning music or relearning an instrument, which we perhaps, you know, hated to do as a kid, or, or actually picking up that instrument which you wanted to do as a kid, even mm. though you were forced to do the other one. I think those are very interesting ways. If you can be, if you can spare the time, if you can be really determined about it, complementing exercise, meditation, human connectivity with music, you know, with language skills, I think utilizes other parts of of the brain and ultimately leads to a, a greater sense of fulfillment. I'm trying. I'm working on that right now. Yeah, but I, I feel I'm onto something. What do you do to keep your mental health in check? You meditate? Yeah, not regularly enough, but I'd like to do it more. But sure, yes, that's one aspect. And what else? Trying to encourage myself to do other things which are not part of the daily routine. I think that's important, but it requires a degree of discipline. So, for example, right now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning French again. I'm mm. trying uh, to get back to the piano. Mm. So I think, f- for me, doing things like that are quite important to trigger and activate yeah. those senses a bit more broadly. It is harder as you get older, though, I think, to do to do some of that stuff in terms of learning languages um, and using that other part of your brain, to your point, probably because you don't use it, you become inundated in that sort of one mode of this is my routine, this is the work I do, um, and it's quite difficult to get out of that sometimes, I think, especially when learning a language. But I think, to, to your point as well, that meditative mindset can be doing something that is good for you, like whether that be music or it doesn't have to necessarily be exercise, it can be something that just takes you to a place where you're content, happy, and that yeah. keeps yourself clear and focused. It can be planing a piece of wood. Yeah. It can be anything. Yeah. yeah. But, but Craig, actually, just to that point, mm. may, maybe it also ties in with technology. Yeah. It is difficult to do these things in an already very hectic day. And we talk about technology and AI and data all the time. How about using technology to, as a facilitator, which yeah. is ultimately what it should be used for? So even in terms of learning a language, you know, learning a music, yeah. there are technological ways and apps which can help one to do that. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the only way of doing it. You know, I'm learning a language not through an app but through a human interaction. But for some people, maybe the app might be a better way. Even with meditation, actually, when I meditate, I have two or three apps which I think are particularly good mm. And and I use them because I just find that it facilitates, it just makes it that much easier, yeah. you know, whether, whether I'm on a plane or traveling and so on and so forth. Mm. It's a it's a it's definitely something that I've looked into in the in the sort of meditation space. I think in our jobs it is quite hectic and it's sometimes hard to disconnect and have a period of peace and, and quiet. Do you mean from technology or just generally? Just just generally in yeah. the world of asset management and finance is quite a full on, fast paced environment. Sometimes you don't necessarily get the time to stop and think. And I think sometimes doing that probably makes you more productive in the long term. So they, I think there's companies like these apps that are trying to roll that out to more corporate businesses now yeah. um, Force to help time. their em, em, employees probably be more productive in the long term. So I do think that's something that we're, I would like to look into further. I have the app on my phone. <laughs> Which one? Just out of Mindspace. Is it Mindspace? Headspace. 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 Yeah, I've, yes. got that, I've got that on my that's phone. That's hilarious. But I haven't, I haven't used it, no. Okay. I'm going to force you after this. Yeah. Yeah. Force. Right. Yeah. We, can't, we, we, we agreed, right? <laughs> um, we can't use the word force here. Um, and the language apps, I've got them all on my phone. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's I interesting. Just, I, okay. Okay. I think a lot of people could relate to that. Yeah. You, I you bet could download it with good intentions. Yeah. And then 
neglect it's to use like it. anything it's the application and the implementation yeah. and like you say it does require discipline it's hard to fit it into a hectic schedule but if you really want to utilize that you have to make time for it and you've done that with exercise yeah i have and we we talked about doing exercise in the morning before you come to work yeah. sets you up for the day and if you're thinking about you know a team of people you want mm. the best for them just being present actually at their desk is not a confirmation of achieving anything you're there and for a people, a lot of people, that's enough just to physically be slumped yeah. to the desk. I'd rather people be here for half the day and be really, you know, pushing you know, pushing things and, and changing things. Um, I've got a statement for you. Right. Go for it. How do you personally relate to this statement? I am, I am enough. I am enough. Um, now, I'm enough. Okay. Okay. That's, that, that, that's a tough one. When I think of I am enough, I think about maybe uh, self-worth. And, and, and I'm talking here about self-worth as opposed to self-esteem, because I think the two things are different. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Can we okay. explain those? So when, 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 you, when you throw out a statement like I am enough, I think that's linked to a realization that we don't need external validation it, it, it comes back to my earlier example of reputation versus character. When to try and shift towards the character, maybe less about being hung up about the reputation. And I'm enough self-worth versus self-esteem. I think there's, there's a parallel there. And I'm enough is, is a state of mind, I think, which one and I myself am seeking and aspiring to. Yeah. Where you where you have that contentment and where you you know that that state of happiness and contentment is attainable through adversity, through hell and high water at any point in time. Easier said than done, right? But I think that's it's you know that's something which which we must all aspire to. And if you have this fear, does your fear of complacency interfere with that statement? No, I don't think so. Um, maybe I'm not connecting the dots in the same way as you are. It's not so much about the fear of complacency. I think it's more experiential. It's going to either happen inevitably or you can accelerate the process through a greater sense of self-awareness. Yeah. Do you have moments of thinking, I'm not enough, I haven't done enough, I'm not good enough? I'd be lying if I said no to that. We, we, we all feel that. Um, you know, but I think, I think for, you know, for me... Those are fleeting moments, and I'm thankful for that, rather than me carrying that with me as a as a big uh, block on my shoulders. Yeah, all and, we feel is that, <laughs> and, and I acknowledge, you know, that yeah. you know, there probably many people out there, and I, you know, encounter actually many people in my team. You know, I, I manage a team of over a hundred people, and of course, you can imagine there's a diversity of personalities and and concerns and problems and issues and so on and so forth. And I, I, I do deal with individuals who, who probably feel that for a greater part of the day than they should. Yes. And it's a, it's a real shame. And I think those individuals need help and human interaction to realize and to understand how to overcome it and how to come out of that state. Yeah. Um, because it is really down to self-realization. And it's not about finding the answer somewhere else. Right, exactly. I want to come back to that um, as well. I'll probably link to something else that we will end up discussing. And I don't, I don't talk about politics on, I don't talk about politics on this, but um, I do want to use a phrase which is very much in the parlance of our times with notable leaders around the world, the concept of winners and losers. How do you think of those two um, 
kind of names for people's um, state in the world. Do you think that's a pernicious term or do you think that's accurate or do you think it's banal? I, I, I would view it less in those extremes. <laughs> You've probably, I think, come to realize that over the course of the conversation with me that, mm. that uh, you know, maybe I'm, I'm less about that. But Ex- it, not to interrupt you, yeah, but we please. are in, a, in an environment and we're not too f- many people removed in our day-to-day lives mm. with fairly senior people from government, from corporates mm-hmm. who may use those types of terms to describe people in their company or people in the okay, world. Fine. Here's how I think about it. I think I think we need to draw a line between being decisive and applying judgment. Whenever you apply judgment, judgment leads naturally and goes in hand in hand with these kinds of extremes, but judgment and overconfidence I think also are linked. And I deal with many people who are overconfident, who are very absolute in, in, in the way in which they express themselves, not only the way in which they express themselves, the way in which they truly think. You can think of a whole host of adjectives to describe these individuals. I won't go into that. For me, th- that links in with, with, with this right and wrong, with this you know successful, not successful, exactly, and yeah, right. strong and binary weak. Binary terms. Very yeah. binary terms, yeah. right? But binary, it, it's an all or nothing state. It's, it, yeah. you know, you, you, you're setting yourself up yeah. ultimately for disappointment and you're doing it to yourself right why are you setting yourself um, up for disappointment in this world because you can't we know that that we are bound by an environment which is chaotic which yeah. is far from orderly yeah. and we can't control many outcomes in fact the majority of outcomes so if you if you're already framing your mind in those absolute terms without that inherent flexibility you you i think you're setting yourself up for a fall mm. and whereas for me you know, the successful, the truly successful, the really wise and inspiring uh, leaders, um, they don't even have to be leaders, just individuals within the teams yeah. are people who have that inherent realization and who don't think in those absolute terms, who yeah. have that flexibility. Remember, we talked about receptivity earlier. Yeah. I think that's very, very important. Yeah. See, success, I don't actually like the word success, funny mm. enough. And I don't like, there's many words I've grown to not like because they, they, um, they come with them a view, uh, a worldview. You have to buy into the worldview to then buy into the word. A bit like winner loser. Yeah. Could you have done something completely different from the role that you're doing in life? Could you have gone another way quite easily? I, I think the, the the simple answer to that is yes. I, I, you know, I think as human creatures, we're gifted in so many different ways, and we'll spend the rest of our lives not discovering the, the you know the fullness of our potential. And, and we choose a certain path and a certain way of life and a certain career. And, and again, it's not that that's right or wrong, but I'm sure there's so many other things and we have a capacity for so many other things beyond what we're doing now. It doesn't mean we should live uh, life in regret. Actually, it ties in um, um, with, with my earlier point on decisiveness versus judgment. Uh, I think it's important to... Uh, reconcile ourselves with the decisions we make and to be decisive. You know, we're in an environment where actually many people uh, find themselves in a state of paralysis. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I studied economics at university and I know uh, there's no greater cohort of people who sit on the fence than, than economists, right? I think I can say that because, <laughs> you know, I'm a, an economist by background. That doesn't really engender 
in, in me a great level of inspiration. At some point, you really need to make a decisive call. What I was talking about earlier was not being hung up about the two extremes. So, so the difference between being judgmental and being decisive. Mm. I think that's very important. Yeah. So we're living in a time where it's very much in the air and on social media, same thing, I guess, um, of how people are being treated by people with power. And how does it make you feel to live through a time when it feels like the companies and the people with the power are receptive to understand how they should think about changing their behaviors and changing their ways of doing business or employing people, things like that. How does that feel to be, do you first of all feel that we are at that kind of point where it's being, it's very much, much accepted now at a board level, uh, you know, high level of control that things need to change. Hmm. And how does it make you feel kind of your experience coming through this and experience your own, you know, you know, experience of life and, and work and and seeing you're, you're in a, a role now where you could say that you have influence and, and control on yeah. how things are done. What's the feeling like of observing this? And then also, you know, what do you intend to do with that? To be honest, it's very exciting. I, I think things are changing. Um, you, you know, you could probably find every generation who's asked this question may answer it in a similar sense. But I do think there's some notable differences here in terms of business practices, which are just not um, going to be tolerated anymore, and which link um, with equity, autonomy, empowering um, those individuals and organizations, fairness, inclusivity. Mm. You know, I think all of those aspects are crucial, uh, not only just because that they're right and they're fair in a sense, and it's just, but actually because you want to get the best out of your people in many industries, and particularly in the asset management industry, our people, um, our greatest uh, strength um, and our true assets. Yeah. So you have to nurture them, right? You've got to, um, there's no point giving them titles, for example, without the commensurate autonomy, you know, yeah. um, and, and that empowerment. That trust. They, 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 well, yeah. trust. It yeah. goes hand in hand. And it also ultimately makes your life that much easier as well when you delegate and entrust um, people. So I think there are certain business and, and corporate practices which were tolerated for decades, even longer, yeah. which aren't being right now. Um, and and I, you know, maybe maybe I'm oversimplifying. You could you could all consider them under the banner of of inclusion or inclusivity, yeah. Uh, perhaps and I think that's a good thing. But I'm I'm happy to be a leader in in this environment, yeah. um, where in a way. I feel the wind is behind my sails. That's, yeah. that's always been something instinctive for me. It's it's a value system which I was brought up with by both parents, yeah. you know, and and my sisters as well. Um, so I think it's a great thing. When you when you hire in your business for for your team and broadly at the more broad corporate level, and do you think this is something other companies should do? Do you philosophically? I, I imagine you probably do. Talking to you, I don't think you could go away from the prism which you talk to people about their lives. If someone's skilled, I think they're probably fifty percent, if that, the, of the way there. I think for you, their character and their worldview is really important because that is the how they're going to treat everyone when you're not there as well. And that could be your you, that could be part of your legacy when you leave or move on or whatever and do a different role. So, um, do you philosophic? How do you screen people to work with you? And I don't want this to be about um, our work, actually. It's more about you as the person. But this is at the heart of it. Because some people don't think they should philosophically screen leaders or people in their team. What do you think? 
Thank you for asking that question. I think um, in your question, you also um, answered it perfectly in, in terms of how I, I truly feel about this. Um, I feel so many people could do the jobs which we do. You, you know, I'm a fixed income asset manager, you know, by background. And that's regarded by many, even in finance, as highly technical, a little bit of a closed circle and so on and so forth. Yeah. I think, you know, all of that is is nonsense, really. You know, it, it's shrouded in secrecy, but the reality couldn't be more different. We're dealing with, with indiv many individuals who are given the right opportunity, could do my job and could do the jobs of many people, um, if not all of the people in my team. So I already, my starting point is that intrinsic belief. Mm. And it, it links well, with what you asked earlier about, could we do many other roles and, and jobs? And the simple mm. answer is yes. And that's why when I find myself, and I, I love the interview process and getting to know people, yeah. um, you're right. I, I probably, you know, I do cover technical aspects, but I also entrust my team members uh, to cover that ground for me. Instead, what I'm much more interested in, in is the qualitatives, the intangibles, the value system of the individuals. Yeah. And I'm looking for two traits in particular, hard work and humility. You know, there's no there's no magic pill or magic formula. I'm not looking for people who think they have a propriety, proprietary edge. You know, it's important to know what you do better than others and to know, um, you know, how you can outperform. But if that comes from a place where you think you are superior, structurally superior, that's just not going to work with me. Mm. Whereas if you embody those characteristics, and it's hard to fake that, you know, of, of hard work and humility, I think culturally the impact you have um, on being the marginal joiner in a team can be can be profound. And that's the way of looking at it. It's how is this individual not only going to shape and impact the culture of our team and preserve yeah. the culture of our team, but also in turn feed off it and thrive off it as well. It's very yeah. much also about asking them and trying to see if it's a suit for them and it's a fit for them as opposed to just a fit for us. Mm. That's interesting. I'm going to come back to you. Your identity... Do you kind of practice in your meditation stripping your achievements? By the way, I, I enter into this fully aware that um, I'm I'm happy with what I've done in life so far. I feel like I'm, I'm happy with that. I've got loads more I want to do. But when a um, psychotherapist said to me, okay, we're going to strip away um, your your company and all your clients and all the people that, who, who know you you and like you, we strip them away and we're going to take away. I was like, that's fine because I've got my photography <laughs> and they were like, I'm going to take away all the photography you've ever done and all the music you've ever written. I was like, right. She went, now, how do you value yourself? And literally, I could not have been more hollow. Yeah. <laughs> I was like a bubble, just completely transparent. And I, I didn't like it at all. So I, I asked this question with humility yeah. around, I don't know how I could even deal with these things. But when I strip away some of those things from you, do you, are you comfortable with what's left? I'm not there yet. You know, I have a deep-seated view that that's where I want to get to. Yeah. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about this, but I'm, I'm certainly not there yet. No. It could be a lifelong um, process. <laughs> um, that's why it, I, I use the word recursive. It's like the frog jumping the half a distance of the well. Each time he's yeah. the frog, it is, is jumping half. Yeah. never quite gets there. And, and you know, I, I've, I've come to terms with that, that, <laughs> that I may never quite get there. Um, but, is it but I'm okay with that. Is it important that you pursue it and do you seek that pursuit in others? It's it's essential. I think it's the pursuit 
Um, indeed, it's a loaded question. <laughs> I think Most things are absolutely great question. These are great questions. Thank you. Um, no, I think the pursuit is is the far more important one. It's the pursuit. It's important to have a vision and a goal, and it's the pursuit and the byproduct of that pursuit, yeah. which are often the most enriching encounters and experiences for yourself and the others around you. Yeah. So you'll work with a whole bunch of people. Um, the people you choose to spend your free time with. Yeah. I know it's going to be your family, definitely. But um, when it's not your family, what type of people do you seek out? There's a, there's a wide cross-section. It's Yeah, it's not just my family. I have you know, friends I've known since I was 11. Remember, for me, it's a little bit tricky because I, I, I wasn't born here. I was born in the States. And, yeah. you know, I lived all over the world before finally settling in the UK. Um, so, you know, I moved to the UK when I was 11. I have very close friends um, from when I was 11, when I was in high school and university. Actually, I married my wife. Uh, you know, I met her when I was 18 in university at the London School of Economics. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not trying to evade your question. So what, no, what, nice what know, so. do they all have a certain brand or a certain profile in a sense is what you're asking? No, the answer no. is no. They're very, okay. No, I'm not asking that because okay. I know from experience, I've got out of work actors as friends. Yeah. I had like drug addicts as friends who are unemployed. I've got all sorts of people that you yeah. may not assume from a guy in a suit, but I want to know what type of people you seek the company of. And it doesn't have to be someone that you've known since you're 11. If you were to kind of, go to a social thing yeah. or whatever on art gallery and you're on your own you're, or you're left or the party's left and you're on your own and you get chatting. What type of qualities in people kind of just get you magnetized? Yeah, I don't go to many parties these days, but uh, <laughs> I find there's a strong correlation between the kind of ind individuals I seek professionally and personally. Mm. So those two qualities, mm. uh, which I described earlier, you know, the hard work, the humility, I think actually embody uh, many other sub qualities, which, which for me matter so for, for me, I, I spend more time with people who reflect those qualities. And ultimately, those individuals tend to come from different walks of life. You know, I don't like to talk about finance when I, when I leave work. You know, I like to have a, a disconnect between the two. Yeah. I don't like to talk shop. Even with people from work, if I'm meeting them outside work, yeah. I'll be the one who actually will move the conversation towards something non-work related. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, a lot of them gravitate mm towards that because it's their comfort blanket. Yeah. Um, and again, and then I'll try and push the conversation to go somewhere else. And, and it's a little bit uh, cat and mouse that way, but in a, in a, in a fun yeah. way. So for me, it's about the values uh, rather than the, so much the, the personality of the people. Yeah. Was that um, back to your, you know, your point of your traveling quite a lot when you were younger and being moved around from family to um, with your family, sorry. Did that have an impact on your sort of friendships or ability to maintain those relationships you know, at an early age when you were traveling around so much? So imagine if you were moving schools or moving yeah. moving around, it was quite difficult to... Here is where it can be binary. And, yeah. and I think, you know, there's evidence. I, I don't know if there's empirical evidence, but there's yeah. anecdotal evidence that children of diplomats or you know, where their parents are from the United Nations and they're doing these move moves every three or four years, it can either be very psychologically and emotionally destabilizing for them, mm. or if it works, actually it can be hugely yeah. positive, right? And, I, and I'm not trying to big myself up here. I, I would like to think um, I can relate more to the latter camp yeah. Yeah. rather than having viewed it as a disruption. Mm -hmm. We've got 10 minutes, so I'm going okay. to ask some of the tough questions. Oh, I thought those were it. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Okay. So why not run away from everybody, move house, move country, start again under a new name? 
look, we, 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 those, those thoughts enter our minds. No, why? You know, you're escaping the reality, which is with you. It's with us right now. It's in this room. It's intrinsic. So you'll, you'll still be you, right? Yeah. What, you take Ray to, you know, Azerbaijan. <laughs> or, uh, but um, yeah, why not? Is it because you're just going to still be the same person then? And if you experience any troubles, that they'll be carried with you? Or is there something else? Do you feel like a duty? Oh, no, I definitely feel like a strong sense of duty to those around me in terms of friends, close family, mm. and, and so on. But actually, if I think about it selfishly, mm you're escaping, you're running away from it. And that just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, You've got to, you know, in the process of self-realization, it's about um, discovering it while you are where you are at the point in time and, and accepting the environment yeah. and not running away from it. So yeah. you're, you're right. I wish I could give you a more complex answer. No, no, no. I'm, I'm curious. I, I, I thought of that also today because of Jerry Epstein. Mm. And I thought about mm. this man's career and uh, I just I quickly just looked through Wikipedia, and I saw a man who basically had lots of choices. It, it seemed to have lots of choices in his life, but he couldn't escape. It seemed to be himself or whatever he was trying to solve for, just get more and more strange and complicated. I'm not going to go into any yeah. of the details, but he ended up, you know, dying or committing suicide in a cell at 66. And I thought, man alive, if, mm. I'm sure in my 40s, <laughs> I'm going to sort my life out so... It's just probably sugar that kills me or a <laughs> burger or something. I think it comes back to the fact that suffering happiness is relative. We we mm. view people with lives we deem to be mm. perfect. Yes. It's the, it's the perception of it. It's the lifestyle. Yes. It's, again, the, coming back to reputation character, it's, the, it's what's on the surface which seems to be perfect. How many celebrities have taken their own lives? Absolutely. Right? And yeah. and you just can't fathom that. Yet they've had those those demons, and and I think it's you know those emotions are relative. You know, both of us may experience the pleasure of eating an ice cream, absolutely, but yeah. feel very differently. Sure. It's relative to maybe what the last set of experiences <laughs> were, or whether we just ate something bitter and so on and so forth. That's right. Yeah, and that's that's where you need the duality, right? But that's where seeking the answers and realizing that you can only provide yourself with it. You are your own um, judge, jury and executioner. You know what I mean? You are that. Getting to that understanding in life, it's got to be so important, you know. Otherwise, you're then in this billionaire's club and still trying to seek something from the outside to make you feel better. Be like, It's difficult. I think it is a journey. Like I think, to your point earlier as well, of being... You've got to be so comfortable in yourself yes. and so mm. enlightened and happy and so content that you don't care what anyone else thinks or you don't care yeah. that you're so comfortable that stuff like that doesn't enter your mind or doesn't affect you. But I do think that's a rarity. Like you say, it is a journey. People very rarely get to that point of being so content or comfortable or happy in themselves that other yeah. issues don't don't affect that. I think it's going to, I really hope it becomes more with mindfulness and with um, just this kind of movement of communication. Mm. I think people are going to empathise a lot. Hopefully, well, you would hope empathy increases, insanity increases <laughs> as well with like Twitter and all the rest of it. And But I hope that does become more prevalent. I feel, it feels like to me, we are in a WeWork community building here yeah. and it feels like the message from the people on an anecdotal one-to-one -one basis yeah. and broadly at a corporate level, like WeWork just cut out anything to do with me. It's all vegan now. Yeah. Anything they do, they're involved with, it's all vegan. 
And that was good. They did that over a year ago, I think, yeah. didn't they? Um, and they have mindful meditation rooms where you can go and yeah. take time out of your day. We're not sponsored by them. It's no. very clear. <laughs> I'm not getting any money from Adam for yeah. this. But, you know, it feels like that's the environment that we're yeah. seeing anecdotally. And it feels like our, com- our, our clients are also adopting that. They're realizing that there's a brain drain to a degree. Yeah. At a certain mm. point, especially if it comes to computational and quantitative piece, where they're going to choose to do inf- work that help, helps in some way, and and the saving grace, I think, for a lot of asset management employees, I'm talking very kind of basic level here, is ESG. Yeah. It's on the lips of every single person. It is, now. Yeah. yeah, is that um, back to before we started? You mentioned about you know a meditation studio. Uh, is that something that is akin to this and in the industry that we work in? Is that something that you want to? implement into that side of things or is that outside of work yeah you know i think you when you look around um you see tons of yoga studios and pilates studios and gyms and so on and so forth Uh, less attention is being devoted towards uh, using the word mental health can can be misconstrued Mm. but i think you know what i'm talking about here um but but actually coming back to both of your points i'm encouraged but but also a little bit worried at the same time i'm encouraged that awareness levels of these issues this contemplative state, this need um, for for self-development uh, and attainment of happiness from within, that awareness level is probably higher than it's ever been, arguably, right? I could, yeah. I could be totally wrong. Yet at the same time, we see a huge increase in, in individuals with mental health and anxiety and stress-related conditions and so on. So it's very hard to reconcile the two. And, you know, I'm sitting here actually with my with my samsung galaxy s10 plus in front of me i actually feel that's a big culprit you know it's a blessing and a curse and we, we talked about i know i'm <laughs> sorry me. i know but look you know you, you have yours oh, right there as well <laughs> craig is yeah, the only one who doesn't so good good on you craig but you know it could be a blessing you know we had examples like um the music the yeah, yeah. uh the, the the language and so on but it's a real obstacle to authentic human interaction mm. and you know i find when I'm interviewing graduates, for example, these days, I'm just I'm just picking on them, picking on that particular group sure. of people, right? They're supercharged, better than they've ever been before. I mean, their resumes are just jam-packed with yeah. all the right things. They say all the right things yeah. because they're picking up all of this phraseology on doing the right thing from social media and so on and so forth. But when you look deep into their eyes, yeah. you can see that the reality and whether they embody and truly live and breathe that can sometimes be divergent. Yeah. And maybe that's it. And and uh, yeah, I'm a big believer that our phones are, are huge culprits here, yeah. or what our phones are carrying. Um, I imposed, and this is one example where I was forcible, let's call it decisive, okay, shall we? <laughs> a digital detox for, for myself and my family yeah, um, yeah. around Christmas yeah, yeah. last, um, you know, last year. And we went away to a, to a hotel in, in the English countryside uh, for, for three nights and at first, my sons, you know, they repelled with full vigor and force. I assure you, Father, I need this <laughs> instrument. But of course, I had to to, to do that by example. Yeah. And I said, yeah. I'm going to do the same. And, you know, look, I'm responsible for, for the welfare of so many, you know, individuals in my team. Yeah. So it's important. I'm not taking this lightly myself, sure, but yeah. I know that I can be contacted and so on and so forth. Yeah. So anyway, we did it. And at the end of it, when we had a follow-up on how it went, it, it was a great short Three days, yeah. and and we, you know, we decided um, that we do it again, and we do it every year. Good. So maybe a digital detox, yeah. uh, you know, for a period of time could be a good. That's thing. a good idea. It's really hard. I find it if I'm a, even subconsciously, I'm not looking at anything. 
just having worse. it there That's and right. then flicking through nothingness. It's and it's like <laughs> muscle memory. You said it well, yeah, flicking through nothingness. Literally, and if you don't have it for like you know, an hour, you're like, oh, it's a bit, yeah. you get a bit antsy and itchy and it's like, and then you get back, it's just like, oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You don't, <laughs> yeah. So I, I need to do that. No, sure. no, this is one thing I think is the awareness is becoming more and more prevalent is people understand that human beings seek negativity. We seek out bad experiences and they're more memorable because we're looking for danger. That's yes. part of our, our kind of build. And we, so my wife, I can say one thing and I can say a hundred amazing things to her. And the one thing I said, you know, I didn't even mean properly yeah. that will log in. That's what, you know, but we understand, I think for, you know, from that background, why that is the worst though, is when you see men and women endlessly scrolling mm. through imagery of people in bathing suits and yeah. just models inverted commas and it's just reinforcing this mm. i'm not enough concept that's true that's true and it's so i don't have kids you don't have kids but you've got three three i do yeah. yeah and um i just feel like there should there should be protection for this we should be aware of this constant data stream um needs to be regulated it's it's as bad as giving kids coke and do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. it's as bad as when you see you know that type of thing happening I couldn't it's not, agree more yeah yeah it's scary i imagine for it's i think it's completely different even from when i was uh you know kid the technological advances T- completely and, yeah um okay uh, la, um we're nearly at our limit so one, one, one thing i have realized from oh. this podcast is yeah. that um i should turn the tables and both of you bring a wealth <laughs> of your own experiences to the table, which we've only just scraped the surface of. Um, so I hope that's taken on board and you are the yeah. respondent. Maybe at Christmas before your detox, we'll do a special edition. Yeah. <laughs> Ray turns the tables. Yeah. You, could, you could get one involved with your new mindfulness and meditation structure. You could do a meditation podcast. That'd be <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Do you think the world is gently, okay, this is, I think from Albert Camus, the stranger or something like that. Um, do you think that the world is gently indifferent? You mean becoming more selfish as opposed to selfless? Yeah. Are I mean, you talking about it from an aggregate level or from a, from an individual level? I think, do you experience the world as being gently indifferent to you? I don't and I never have. And I think that's, that's a mindset. Um, it's a mindset which comes from externalizing our own issues and blaming what's not within us. You know, I risk repeating myself that um, that kind of attitude can be mitigated, you know, not obliterated, but mitigated by a greater sense of self-awareness. And I think our discussion so far, you know, the three of us together, hopefully, um, you know, has expounded on that a little bit. It's not meant to have been prescriptive in any way. Mm. You know, we're, we're, we're covering topics which are, so deep um, that we we can't profess to have the answer to, right? Yeah, and I don't think you can fake it either. I think you know this is. Um, I think it's really interesting that answer because how how would you answer it though, Ben? I'm sorry, I, I'm going to turn the tables on you. <laughs> well, I think what what I got from your answer before I answer it is uh, <laughs> one of empowerment, like you can affect the world in a positive way, yeah. and why would you not? You know that is what you are how you kind of answered that which is if you're getting that response from the world it's kind of you might be sowing that seed and then you know and then looking for that in every in everyone yeah i think every time i've positively gone out to the world I and mean, we do it a lot in our we we reach out every day to people mm. in, in and 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 you carry with you you've got to empathize and understand people are experiencing life through their prism and through their experience and 
you know, you've got to be, I guess, kind of gently indifferent with the negativity, but majoritively you get positive results. Every time I've ever gone to the world, something, yeah. people are, happy, you know, positive and happy. But maybe the answer lies in exactly that point, and we can look at it from a time frame perspective. Mm. When we think about negative phraseology and experiences, and maybe this is a controversial statement, wouldn't you say that nine times out of ten, those are framed in the past or framed in past experiences? Whereas when you yeah. talk about positive encounters, yeah. they're either grounded in the, the current. Yeah. You know, I know that's a very overused um, expression these days, be in the now. No, 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 you're but right. But maybe to bring life on what that really means. Yeah. Actually, there's more positivity framed in the now and perhaps even the future to a certain extent. You don't want to also overanalyze future outcomes, but more than the past and the and and the no, negativity I'm, is correlated with the yeah. past no. how's that for a, a thought I, I i would disagree i'd say and i'll give you an example from okay, this morning mm. this is how grumpy i am in the morning so i was <laughs> on the train this morning and we got our seat and a guy came through the other carriage to come and sit into our carriage and I, I thought he's just got on the wrong carriage walked all the way through and sat down in our carriage and i felt grumpy as he moved past me to move my bag and he was a young guy in a suit um and he looked headphones in looked like he was just getting on with his day. And then a massive moth appeared, huge, beautiful coloured yellow moth, and it flew around. And I, I leant up and opened the window above him, and he had, with his info still in, sorry, <laughs> moving the mic around, he gently cupped it and tried, and for about a minute couldn't get it, it was almost farcical, and then he got it, and then he put it out, and then he just re remained. And I said to him, good skills. He went, sorry? And I mean, great skills there. He went, I don't like killing those kind of things. They're really beautiful, aren't they? And he put it back in. I thought, what a lovely <laughs> And I thought to myself, what a fucking idiot I am. Yeah, yeah. Why do I project this negativity onto these people? Yeah. He's just, you know, and I thought, I then thought, bet the other carried, everyone else would have just killed it. Yeah. But he just let it go and he got it out. And I, I thought to myself, a lot of it is in the past. And I look yes. at myself and think, why do I project this ah, negativity? So you, you, so you do concur with that time frame. No, but I don't look, I, I look backwards and think positive experience, but I cannot project it into the future as much as I want to. But every time I've reached ah. out to the world, I've actually, if I audit, I go, oh yeah, it's all been fairly good. Like, mm -hmm. and that's why you should be positive in work. Yeah. I just talked about a personal thing where there was no duty, no expectation, yeah. no one knew me. And I, that's how I behaved, which I'm not happy about. It's... It, it, it's fascinating when it probably opens and paves the way for a new podcast <laughs> uh, in a sense thank you so much for your time. thank you guys thank you. great to spend time with you thank you I've really enjoyed it alright thank you